Right, I'd like to start this Iron Show out with a little song that I wrote for my friend Grok. And uh, Grok is a uh, youth ministry uh, pastor, and he's got a heck of a ministry going. He's out there on Blog Talk Radio. Just uh, type in blogtalkradio.com slash grok558. And uh, this little song I wrote for him, The Grok Show. like to say oh counselor mark it's so nice to have you here on the iron show oh it's nice it's so nice i when, feel nice when i think about you on the iron show i have warm fuzzy Happy feelings. It feels like love. It feels like the Iron Show. Everybody to Iron Show 33 with counselor Mark Breton. What's up? What's up? Alright, Mark Breton in the house. Oh man. We uh we uh had about 30 minutes worth of uh, uh heavy duty uh uh session from the original uh fear session, which we cut up into three parts. This is part three. There's around 30 minutes of the original session left, so we thought, well, that's not, you know, that's not an iron show. Let's let's do something uh, for the first half of the third part of Fear. So what we did was we uh, we got on our cell phones and we got on Talk Show, and uh, so 
Uh, we got on TalkShoe, and at the last moment, we drummed up a bunch of guests, and they were typing questions to me in the chat. I started it off with some questions about fear that I had personally in my life. Counselor Mark helped me a lot. And he also, I think he answered the questions of the people calling in really well. And let God heal you through this session. Amen. That's what we're here for. All we want to do is help. We're not making any money on this. All I'm doing is spending money. <laughs> What's up? Instead of, instead, of, instead of hearing the horrible line, Hi, I'm from the government and I'm here to help. I'm not from the government and I'm here to help. So <laughs> you can rest assured it'll be a lot better. <laughs> At least Johnny What's can... What's up? What's up? At least if Johnny doesn't help you, he can make it worse. What's up? <laughs> What's up? I'll oh. give you a reason to cry. <laughs> <laughs> if you're not scared now, you will be. All right. Okay. Man, here we are. All right, everybody. Go to your room. Hey, Council Mark, before we go, uh, let's yes. just take uh, 30 seconds. We got us. Give me some shout outs. Give me some shout outs. Well, I want to give a shout out to Doc Future and uh, Tom Bionic because they are incredible encouragement to me. Me too. Uh, I love my brothers. Uh, I'd like to give a shout out to Chris White, Chris Pinto. Uh, these guys are internet kings, man. They get it done, making movies, We're reaching people. You know, I heard today about someone who got saved listening to a Chris White thing. I'm just, uh, I love you guys. You're awesome. Uh, just keep at it. Stay faithful. Don't give up. Don't get discouraged. You're making a difference. And uh, that's what it's all about. Uh, you know my usual shout-outs. I am going to uh, delay all those, and I would just like to give one special shout-out to my friend and Iron Show fan listener, Paul Babb. He's a cowboy out in Texas, rides the range, listening to the Iron Show on his iPod. And uh, we got a friend out there. I can't remember his name, but he's in the Cornhusker State. He's a dedicated Iron Show fan. Hey to you, buddy. And uh, I'd just like to say, uh, Rick, I miss you, bro. My long-lost co-host. Uh, people have been asking me what happened to Rick. Nothing. Nothing. Rick uh, has moved from San Diego to Oceanside. Got himself set up real nice. Uh, he's just involved with so much street ministry that he's not able to be here very often. But uh, Rick is still around. So uh, for all you guys who are wondering about that. So anyway, without further ado, Counselor Mark... Why don't you lead them into our live session with a few words? The live session was good. The live session we're going to have is going to be really good as long as everyone gets on board. Email, contact us, tell us what you want to talk about, and we will tackle it. We are fearless in the face of fear. All right. Man, those are some... All right, encouraging words. All right. Okay, and I'll let you listen to Iron Show Live and Iron Show Recorded. Thank you.
Iron Show. We're in here with Mark Breton, counselor. He is an accomplished counselor. He's a systems uh, systems repair guy. He's a big time computer whiz. He is uh, he's a veteran, and uh, he's here to uh, deal with your issues about fear and anger or grief and sadness. So uh, call in, please call in uh, 1-724-444-7444. Enter the call ID 59321. If you look at the bottom of your screen below the chat, you will see the uh, call number. Call in, and then it will ask you to, for the call ID, enter the call ID number. Type in 59321-POUND, which is also at the bottom of the chat screen you're looking at. You can join us. You can ask Councilor Mark any of your issues. We're going to hang out for about 15 minutes, then we're going to bail. We're, we're recording Iron Show 33, Fear, Part 3. That's uh, ironshow.com. Find all our, uh, you can find all our uh, uh, podcasts, all our shows, by going to ironshow.com slash download or download.ironshow.com. Either way. You can get in there, click, and listen to the uh, listen to any of the shows right there on your computer, or right-click, hit Save File As, and then put it in a folder, put it on your uh, put it on your portable device, save it in your computer, put it on your iPod. We're also available on iTunes. Go to iTunes to the iTunes Store, uh, click on Podcasts, then enter either Iron Show or John McMahon. And it'll bring the Iron Show up there, and you can uh, subscribe to our Iron Show podcast on Iron Sh on iTunes. Uh, we're available there. All the shows there are available. And uh, we're here with Counselor Mark, and uh, we're, we've been working for uh, for the last two months on our Human Emotions series. We're dealing with fear right now, but uh, you can call Counselor Mark right now. Ask him about you know. Ask, tell him about a fear issue you've got. Are you scared uh, or are you angry? We, he can talk about anger issues or are you sad? He can talk about grief, too. He is a uh, accomplished counselor, and he can help you here tonight. So call in at 1-724-444-7444. The call ID 59321. Now, Counselor Mark, I was telling you about my uh, fear of... Uh, my fear of going to the hiring hall as a longshoreman, plugging the board, sitting down, and then not getting a job. And I, that's happened to me in slow times. I've gone for three weeks, morning and night, plugging the board, sitting down, not getting a job, going home empty. And the wife says, did you get a job? No. Again? Yeah. Go the next day. After three weeks, you haven't got a job yet? No. Uh, and I, I have developed this fear of going to the hall. In fact, there's been times when it's been, I have to work up the nerve for a week just to go into that hall to feel that. And you go in there and you feel that desperation. Even though I have a full-time job, I, I'm scared. I've got a fear of going to the hall. And Councilor Mark was trying to explain that to me. He said that it comes out to, well, a fear of rejection, basically. Yeah, it's a fear of rejection. And uh, like I said, it's also identity. Um, when a person loses their job, you know, like I basically, when I had to leave the Air Force due to a disability, I lost my job. And uh, and I had a big change of, you know, of work going on. I went from being a helicopter engine mechanic and a supervisor and uh, 
you know, running maintenance crews and, and having authority and, and everything that went with that to being a grunt-level, entry-level computer guy, uh, which is good honorable work, except if you've been at one thing and then you switch to another, it's really hard to shift those gears because I really identified with being a, a, a sergeant, you know, a staff sergeant in the Air Force and doing the work that I did. And, uh, and it was tough to change because, you know, and it, what's so funny about this is when I was in the Air Force, uh, it really drove me nuts just being in the, being in the Air Force. It, it was hard because, uh, I'm bipolar and bipolar people in the military on drive. That's probably why they kick us out once they figure it out. But, but, uh, it's, it's all wrapped into our identity and, and how we see ourselves and how we perceive ourselves. And then when something threatens that identity, then we react negatively to it and, and sometimes aggressively. And, uh, so for you, there's an avoidance issue. You know, you don't want to go to the hall and be rejected because every time you get rejected, it's like somebody telling you, you're not good enough to be here. You're not really a good longshoreman because you're not one of the A or B level guys. And it's always a risk to go and then not get anything. And uh, there's wiring in men, especially when it comes to their work, a mental kind of framework that we develop where our work really defines us. And that's something that in Christ, we have a different dynamic that's introduced to us. I think Paul was a really good example of it. You know, Paul was the Pharisee of Pharisees, and he had authority, and he had reach. And then when he became a Christian, he uh, he was made an apostle, you know, out of season, as he put it. And he had a mission. Right. And and so this mission redefined him. But this guy made tents. He would go into a yeah, community. He was a yeah, I mean, and so he would go into a community, he'd start hanging out at the synagogue, he'd start talking to people, and he made tents. He worked on tents. So he'd have money to live. And I think a lot of people forget that. You know, they forget that the work of God that we're called to do as believers is our real identity. Nobody thinks about Paul the tent maker. They think about the Apostle Paul, the guy who wrote most of the New Testament. <laughs> you know, and, and it's like, oh, okay, well, that's the important thing. And so when you go to the hall, you can look at that as an opportunity to be a minister. You can look at that as an opportunity to, to meet the spiritual needs of the people that you're with. And now what you're doing is you're redefining your identity. And you're changing it from being a longshoreman who has to fit the longshoreman mold to being a minister in the midst of longshoremen. And because you are one, you can identify. It's very incarnational. Uh, and, and we can do that. You know, it's like for me, I work in, a, in an IT department that takes care of a really, really large healthcare real estate company. Now, I can either be that IT guy. And, and, you know, show up, do my work, leave. Or I can see myself as being somebody who is a believer, and, and I'm going to use the phrase differently than, like, the incarnation of Christ, but similar. I've kind of been incarnated into this job of being a career guy, or being a computer guy. So who I really am is Mark the Christian. 
what I have been placed into, born into, is my computer career, being a computer guy. Okay, now I know who I really am, but I do this other thing the same way that Jesus, to reach us, had to become a human. For me to reach the people that God has chosen to put me in contact with, I need to be one of those guys. You know, they've got Sunday, they can go to church and see the professionals get up on stage and lead the worship and do the teaching. But every day they need to have somebody in their midst who's one of them, who can look at what they've got going on and see what's happening in their lives on a day-to-day basis and meet them at the point of their need. And so my identity then changes into Mark the minister who is a tent maker, in essence. And you can then turn into Johnny the longshoreman, who is a minister who happens to do his tent making by being a longshoreman. And then that takes the fear away because you're not really going there for the job. You're going there for the ministry. And I think when you turn that over to the Lord, he's going to increase your opportunities to do ministry. And as for me, I can tell you straight up, the more ministry I'm doing, the more fulfilled I am as a believer. And that has nothing to do with my employment. I I live to serve God. And all the other stuff is just the way to make money so that I can live to serve God and, and support my family and honor God in those things. And what happens is then it takes fear away because I have a job that goes on into eternity until the Lord comes back and then takes me and says, okay, you've done a good job. Now you can rest. You know, my career until I die or the Lord returns is ministry. And all of us are that. All of us are ministers. And uh, the other things that we do just to get by is just what we do to get by. So you're saying to, to alleviate our fear... What we need to do is um, get in touch with our true identity. Right. Right, exactly. Um, So fear in that case, at least, is tied to identity. Yes. I mean, I I think about, you know, of course, we have, uh, you know, the desire to meet our family's needs, the desire to not have, you know, somebody foreclose on our house or or come and take or repossess our car or whatever that is, you know. We're trying to get by in this life, and this life is hard. It's difficulty, and it's just, it's tough, and there's a lot to overcome. But, again, the fear part of it is is really is in our identity, you know. And uh, we have to be willing to humble ourselves sometimes For me, going from being what I was in the military to being what I was in computer world was very much a humbling experience. I went from being in charge to being heavily supervised. I went from being capable. I was the guy who signed off on the maintenance, you know, to being the guy who did the maintenance and somebody else followed up on it. It was tough. It was a reversal of the roles. And as a guy, I'm kind of like, I used to be this thing. And now I'm not. And what I had to do was realize that the anxiety that I had in the job change and the change in identity and having my identity threatened was that my real identity is who I am in Christ and what he's called me to do. And I have been able to witness to, counsel, teach, 
uh, scripture to, and, and basically just shepherd the flock that the Lord has given me where I work. And because I see that as my primary purpose, I'm free to do that without being afraid. I know that God is going to take care of me. That might mean I move into an even more humble position. It might mean that I get a job doing something that even requires less of the intellectual or other type of skills I might have. But he's putting me where he wants me to be as long as I honor him and and make his identity my identity, understanding why I'm in the world. Um, I have another fear to run by you. <laughs> um, when I was good, I was going out to visit Dr. Future and uh, meet Chris White and uh, uh, Andrew Hoffman and my then co-host uh, with at, uh, uh, on the show Armed with Iron, Army Girl. And uh, so I had to fly out. I live on the West Coast in Oregon. <laughs> this was in Indiana, so I had to fly the big jet out to uh, Chicago O'Hare jump on the baby jet and fly it over to Lansing, Michigan, and then we drove down to Indiana where the conference was, where I met Dr. Future and hung out with him for two days, and Fizzy Boy and all the, everybody, it was awesome. Uh, hey, everybody at the conference, I love Adrian, man, I love you, man, but uh, I was not afraid of the jet until uh, just before I got on it, I looked at that thing and I went, Six in the morning, I'm looking at it. It's still dark. I'm looking at the jet. I'm thinking, man, if man had wings, if man was meant to fly, he'd have wings. I don't want to get on that jet. <laughs> that, that's not an uncommon fear, and I'll tell you why. Because I think it's completely unnatural to pack a whole bunch of people into a small aluminum tube and hurl them through the air at 400, 500 miles an hour. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> tell me, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, I mean, really, honestly, they tell you that flying is a lot more safe than driving. Statistically, that's very true. You know, I don't hop in my truck and think twice much about the fact that I'm going to die on the highway. I just don't, it doesn't enter my mind. I just try to drive safe. I'm not flying the plane. I'm sitting in a seat with a whole bunch of other people trying to get just a lick of fresh air, hoping that we get up and down without, you know, world ending. You know, when a car breaks down, you get to pull over. A plane breaks down and right. you're doing an emergency landing or a controlled crash or even worse, and we have no control over it because we're strapped to a seat. And that loss of control and knowing oh. that we're doing something very dangerous, that's really hard. You know, and we feel, bad, well, we feel better in the cockpit flying the jet ourselves. If we knew how. Do pilots have to deal with fear of flying ever? Or is that something they just do not fear? No, I, I've been around, I was around air crews, and the company I work for even has a plane, and I'm around them. And, uh, no, there's, they say that flying is hours of boredom with sheer terror thrown in for seconds at a time. <laughs> That's what I'm sure. <laughs> and, and so Dangerous like, You make a lot of money But you gotta live to spend it <laughs> Yeah Exactly And so You know You you hope It's boring You know It's one of those things Where you just really hope It stays boring Or Somebody
somebody on board, like in a military aircraft, has guns to take care of the problem if it gets exciting, you know? And so, you know, flying in an airline from that distance, I mean, it saves a tremendous amount of time. It's great, but it's scary and it's unnatural. And I think when you put a human being in a position where they're taking a high risk falling out of the sky, which more than likely will not happen, uh, and you do that and you put them in a chair packed in a cabin with, you know, a hundred other people and you're all elbow to elbow, that's not normal. People don't no. don't like that. So, I mean, we just, it's, it just doesn't feel right. And so that loss of control causes a lot of anxiety. And that's when you just, before you get on the plane, you make sure you've got everything that you can control taken care of. You make sure that everything, your ducks are in a row, your will's written, whatever. You know, and then you just tell God, well, I'm supposed to be at this conference, so I'll either get there or I won't. And, and there you go. And honestly, you know, flying is a very, very common fear because it's so unnatural. And the, the people who really love doing it generally are the people that are flying the plane. I mean, if you really love flying, you'd probably go get a, a pilot's license. But most people generally really can't stand flying. That's a common fear. And, and I think that if you can do everything you can... <laughs> to manage yourself when you're in that situation and, and just reassure yourself that, <clears throat> I mean, you're not going to die. I mean, there are so oh, few God. aircraft accidents where people die. It's unbelievable, especially commercial flight. You're not going to die. Yeah. yeah, especially the new, uh, they're flying the new uh, Airbus A320s, and those things are computer uh, safety operated they can't even stall. The, the pilot can't even get them to a stall speed, slow them right. down to a stall speed. If the computer senses it's going too slow, it'll speed up. It's like the most, you know, it's more safe than ever. Yet still, I sat there afraid of having my arms and legs ripped off by aircraft parts as we plowed into a field. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, and yeah, and what it does is it shows that we're not really afraid of flying so much as afraid of getting hurt. Right. Exactly. You know, I don't want I don't, I don't to lose body parts in any situation, but it just seems no. like you think about, you know, you know, dying in a plane or having a crash and getting burnt or something. It's, it's really, it's, it's a normal fear because we're doing something that's pretty abnormal. It's pretty strange. So to deal with that, to deal with that, should we tell ourselves about the real percentages of people that die in aircraft accidents? Extremely low. Should we? Should we think about that, or should we? Is there something else you think we should be thinking about? Again, this is a live call. Please call in. Counselor Mark's here to help you with your fear, anger, or uh, grief, sadness issues. Please call in one seven two four 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 seventy four forty four. And the call ID is five nine three twenty one pound. Okay, so what I was asking you, uh, uh, should we tell ourselves what before getting on an airplane and we're scared? Should we tell ourselves about how people hardly ever die in aircraft? Or is there, as a counselor, is there another way you would approach it? Uh, well, I mean, if you're a normal person and generally can get yourself on the plane, and you don't have a panic attack on the plane. But you might think about, you know, if this goes down, this is really going to suck. You're a normal person. 
some people get on a plane and have panic attacks, and, and so they'll either take some medication to alleviate that ahead of time, and no amount of rational thoughts can help them out. But I know as somebody who's flown on a lot of different kinds of aircraft and worked on, I mean, I'll get on a plane I work on. You know what I mean? I know what it takes to keep the plane in the air, and so I understand it really well. I understand how it works and why it works. And so for me, even though I'm uncomfortable flying, I know that because I've been a part of that whole process, I know that I'm not going to crash. I mean, it's so statistically small of a chance. And I think it is good that we look at things that we're afraid of. And here's an exercise that I give to people that are dealing with fear. And I've had to do it a lot myself. And I sit down with a piece of paper and I look at whatever it is I'm afraid of and I and I make myself write down what's the worst thing that can happen. Okay. So I, I just make a list. What's the worst thing that can happen? And okay. the, the thing the worst thing that can happen would be dying. Well, why is that the worst thing? <laughs> how many things how many things do you list besides the worst thing? Just a couple more things or just that? Yeah, what I do is it what it does is when I start the exercise it opens up my mind to understanding or at least identifying other aspects aspects of it that I'm afraid of. And so then I write down, okay, you know, I might be really anxious about work. So I'll write down, well what's the worst thing that can happen? Well, I'll lose my job. Okay, well then what do I gotta do to fix it? So what you do is you come up with a list of what you're afraid of, what the worst things that can happen because of that fear, and then you come up with solutions that you can live with. And you look at that and you go, okay, well I'm really afraid of losing my job. So what do I do? I learn another skill. And I have that ready to go if I need to change careers or I, I keep a resume up to date. You know, I, I talk to my family about how we're going to manage money. I try to put something aside to protect my family. And, and also I think about the fact that I've been homeless in my life three times. I know what that looks like, and I know that it doesn't end the world. I mean, it just... It's not the end of things. And because I've seen the bottom, I, I don't have as much problems with it. Well, if you haven't been homeless, you can still put yourself through the exercise. Okay, well, if I am end up being on the streets, but I'm not taking drugs, and I'm not a drinker or a violent person or anything like that, chances are really good I can either stay with some family because I'm not a horrible person, or I can get into a homeless shelter until I can get back on my feet. So what you have to do is just not do things that eliminate your options. I'll throw this out there for the consumption of, you know, whoever might hear it. My brothers, my younger brothers deal with a lot of job shifting and a lot of things and the difficulty in gaining traction in their employment. Well, one of the reasons is is because they like to smoke pot. They smoke pot. Oh, That's yeah. That they do, Right. Well, I explained yeah, the fear of the dope test. That'll, yeah, exactly. that'll so, make it hard to find another job. Exactly. And what happens then is, is you know that you have made yourself ineligible for like half the jobs out there because they want to do a drug test before they'll hire you. So one of the things you have to do, it's called mitigation. You mitigate circumstances to deal with fear. And in these practical matters like flying, or employment, or these things. You know, if you're afraid of losing your job, 
don't take drugs because it'll make it harder you know, to get a job. I was thinking, you know, related to that, even even deeper than that is the fear of stopping the drug. What am I going to lose when I stop? Maybe yeah. I should write down a list of that and then put it against the list of what I'm going to gain. Exactly. And then I'm not a counselor, but does that sound, do you do things like that? Oh, yeah. All these different tools are important. They come to bear on dealing with fear. This is a very practical aspect of dealing with fear, uh, where you sit down with pen and paper, and you write down what you're afraid of, and you face it. You look at it square in the eye, and you go, you know what? It might be irrational. You know, I'm terrified of dogs. You know, it might be something like that. I'm just afraid of dogs. Well, don't own one. Or get a dog and get used to what dogs are like. There's right there is what they call immersion therapy. You know, you immerse yourself in the thing that scares you. You're afraid of heights? Start going up and getting into buildings that are taller and learn how to deal with it. Go up to the seventh floor, look out the window, and realize that you didn't fall out. Take a deep breath, settle down, and the next time go up to the ninth floor. You just work it out. Or in a situation where, like, with a dog or something like that, you don't have to own a dog. You don't have to be around dogs. You know, carry pepper spray. Like you did when, when you had to deal with the bear, you took a gun. You know, do things to mitigate the fear. And that's what I do. I sit down with the paper, I write it down, or I have the exercise in my mind. What am I afraid of? Like today, I took my daughter on a driving lesson. Okay? So I'm teaching her to drive. She's a good driver, but she's a new driver. She's still got her learner's permit. And so I sit in the seat next to her, and my left hand is on the emergency brake because it's a Toyota, and the emergency brake is right there in the center. And I can yank up on that thing and make the car stop. And what I've done is, is I'm afraid of getting in a wreck, even a bump, just a little fender bender with her as I'm teaching her to drive. Well, I have mitigated that fear by having my left hand on that brake. And I know that if I need to, I can stop the car. That's, the, that's a very practical explanation of how you deal with fear. You put a handle on it, and you handle it. And that might take time. It might take a lot of work. It might, you know, baby steps to get through the process. But that's how you do it. Practical, everyday kind of fears, that's how you do it. You figure out what the worst thing that can happen is, and you address that. Then you figure out, well, what's something bad that can happen from it? You know, well, I might lose some pay. Okay, how do you deal with it? You have to confront it. And when you confront it and deal with it honestly, and get help if you need it. If you've got a problem and you need help, contact somebody who can help you. You'll get a counselor. Pastors are often good at helping people deal with fear. You know, and ultimately at the very bottom of it, you have to deal with your death. You have to deal with the fact that you are mortal and that you are going to die and that it might not be at the time of your choosing. You know, we have all these dreams and aspirations, whether it be to live to see our grandkids or whatever it is. You know, we want things out of life. And when something threatens that, it's very difficult for us. And so, but we have to deal with even that. We have to deal with our death. We have to deal with the fact that we are going to go. And then, okay, well, if I'm going to die, what do I need to do to prepare for that? You know, the church isn't very good at that anymore. They, they used to be much better at preparing people for death. 
because death is such a, a, a eventuality. Everybody dies, 100, percent you know. And uh, so, but we don't want to think about it, so we just push it off. Uh, Blaise Pascal wrote amazing things about how humans don't want to deal with death, and uh, and so uh, that's at the absolute bottom of it all the fear of death, the fear of finality, the fear of losing everything that that brings. And and these are these little deaths. You and I joked around one time about that dune thing, you know. Fear is the mind killer and blah, 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 that whole, you know, yeah, I'm a geek, whatever. But that's what fear is like. It's like dying a little bit. You know, and you just go in and you just die a little bit. Every time you have to deal with fear, well, you have to take it away. And that means you have to make peace with God so that no matter what happens, you're ready to go. And if you're not going to die, well, then you make peace with whatever situation you're in and make preparations so that you can do with comes up. Sometimes that involves sitting down, making that list, coming up with stuff, dealing with it. Um, this is a live session with Counselor Mark Bretton. He's an accomplished counselor. He can He's here to help you with your anger, your fear issues, um, your sadness issues. Uh, this is the Iron Show, our live edition to Iron Show 33. Uh, call in uh, 1-724-444-7444. Call ID 59321-POUND. Uh, we have uh, Minister Grock in the chat, and he wants to know, he has a question for you, Councilor Mark. He says, why do people fear success? Apparently he has a fear of success. Success is, is a toughie. Some people are more afraid of success than they are of failure because success has obligations to it, you know, because we uh, look at it and we think, okay, I've gotten this far. I need to stay this far. Uh, I'm trying to think of different – in the chat, is is uh, is he talking about any specific kind of success? The work success. No, he just uh, he says, why do people fear success? He's ran he's ran in. He's dealt with a few people that are afraid of success. They're talented. They don't want to go any farther because they're afraid they'll succeed. And uh, he thinks that's just crazy. He doesn't understand it. He thought maybe you would have uh, some insight on it. Yeah, success. Uh, there's a lot of people that won't even get started because they're afraid. Failure, but even then, they're even afraid of the success. They're afraid of change. Change brings with it a lot of consequences, good and bad. And some of the stuff that looks good at the beginning ends up not being all that great. Uh, for instance, I was trying to get promoted to run my department, and when I didn't get it, when some things got really strange, and I didn't even really get a shot at it, I was not happy. And then I sat back and thought, wow, you know, if I had gotten it, I might have gotten fired after, you know, nine months because they didn't like the job I was doing because they just fired the last guy. And so there's that opportunity to do something that you want to do. And at the same time, it presents, like I said, obligation. If I had gotten promoted, I'd have to put a tremendous amount of time into the job. And what happens is once I invest all that time, and then it doesn't pan out, well, then I don't even want to do it. You know, if I play the entire game in my head before we ever step onto the field, 
and I've already lost, what's the point? And so people in the fear of, of, of succeeding, it, it comes with it just in a big package, the fear of failure. What if I do my best and it's not good enough? What if I attain something and I can't keep it? You know, it's, it's like musical artists that put out a killer first album. You know that the band Hootie and the Blowfish, their first album was the second best-selling uh, solo, re- or, or uh, what's the word I'm thinking of? Initial release, I can't remember what it's called. Um, you know, when a band puts their first album out. They sold millions and millions, like nine million records. And then what did their second album sell? But they were on the hook with the record company. So they wanted to succeed and they wanted to sell this incredible record. And they, you know, they wanted to put it out there. And so they put it out there and they're hoping for success. And they have success beyond their wildest dreams. And then all of a sudden, they've got to produce. It's like they've become this thing and now they have to be this thing. They have to maintain it. And all of us, in our hearts and minds, very often feel like we're faking it anyhow. And if people really knew, if you got to look behind the curtain, then the deception is over if people know that we're really not worthy of the success, we didn't really earn it, we got lucky, whatever. And again, it's identity. It's like if people really knew. And so success is a real tough thing for people to deal with. And uh, you have to look at success and go, okay, this is not the high watermark of my life. I will do this thing. I will do the best I can at it. And and then we'll see what comes of it. I'm working on a CD right now that I'd love to sell 100 copies of. You know, I've got a couple songs recorded, and it'd be great. And I've always wanted to, you know, move some product as a musician. I think it'd be cool. Uh, when I sell that record, if I do, I'm not going to be worried about the follow-up. I'm not worrying about record number two. I'm just trying to get record number one done, you know? And And so I'm not nearly as afraid of that now as I was when I was younger and actually doing music for money because uh, so much was on the line. Now it's a hobby, practically, and it's just art. But everything ought to be that way. Everything ought to be we do the best we can, we get where we get, we do the best we can, and then we go on. You know, and it's, But success brings with it a tremendous amount of obligations, and the biggest fear that people have Concerning success is, can I keep it up? Can I keep it going? Will I be worthy of this? Or, I'm not worthy of it, and somehow I succeeded, and now I don't know what to do. And it's, it's a fear of loss. And so people fearing loss, because even when they're achieving, they drop out. They, they don't want to do it. They don't want to make it. You know, like I was talking about Hootie and the Blowfish, their second album didn't. I think their first CD sold like 9 million copies. There's only one band that's ever sold more CDs than them as an initial CD release, and that was Boston. And Boston's first album still outsells everybody. Great album. Their second, yeah, <laughs> but their second album, <clears throat> Hootie and the Blowfish, their second album, I don't think it even moved 4 million units. Now, are they going to look at their lives as failures? Are they going to feel like, well, that wasn't worth it? No. Their first record sold nine million copies. It's just how it goes, and that's how we have to. We kind of have to get an understanding that 
who we are is not what we do. And we should just, you know, do all... I think that's why that verse is in Scripture. And all that you do, do all of the glory of God. That takes away all the motives anyway. I'm not doing this for me to be successful. I do what God has given me. Hey, speaking, speaking of that, sorry to cut in on you, we have a chat question from ISO listener, uh, Brandon Eccles. Brandon Verena yes. Eccles. And uh, here's one for you, Counselor. Uh, he says, maybe, he says, maybe I haven't done enough to truly be saved. Uh, what if I don't have the truth right and I die and have no way of doing it right? Uh, I think we all go through that at some point. You yeah, want me to repeat people, the question? No, I heard you pretty clear. Most people have a problem at some point in their walk when they wonder, you know, am I believing the right thing? Did I do it right? Did I have a salvation moment? What What's going on? And let me tell you this. If you're wondering about it, that's a very, very good sign. And most people don't understand that. You, you say that to them and they're like, huh? The fact that you care about it is extremely significant, Brandon. And so what you do then is you look at that, and like I was talking about fear earlier, well, what are you afraid of? You're afraid that you're not saved. Well, why, why do you feel like you're not saved? Because you don't know if you know the truth. God has given us a book, the scripture, that has all the truth in it. And it says right in it, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, you are saved. That's all you have to do. And so if even right now in this moment, you take that verse and you confess that as your heart, and where you're at, you are saved. And that doesn't go away. It's not something that is, is you know, something that is very tenuous. All you, you have know, to do is Saint that John, thing. Didn't St. John said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and that God has raised him from the dead and you shall be saved? Did he say that or didn't he? Yes, he did. It's right there in Scripture. It says it in Scripture. You mean it? And it, and if, you and mean if it or didn't he? I'm trying to remember it, and I don't remember it specifically. I remember specifically the verse that I said, but right. all through the gospel, and Paul, and the New Testament spells it out very clearly, that if you confess Jesus Christ is Lord, that he died for your sins, that you need his forgiveness for your sins, and that you repent, you are saved. It's a right. done deal. It's like a contract. As soon as you sign that contract, it's over, man. You belong to God. He owns you. The only further thing, the only further thing I would add to that is it's important to believe that Jesus was God in the flesh. Exactly. Now go back. Universe. You know, for whoever hears this and, 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 and confesses, go back and read your Bible. Go get the facts. Make sure that you're believing in the Jesus that is presented in Scripture, that he is God that he was there at creation, learn the doctrine, learn the theology, learn the truth. But it says very clearly, if you confess that, you're saved. And then you can go back and look at all the details and make sure that you got everything lined up. But that's how that works. He saves us, and then he disciples us. And so the discipleship process is where all of the little things are worked out, and the knowledge that we need to have is there. But right away, as soon as we're saved, we're filled with the Holy Spirit. And Scripture says that the Holy Spirit will lead us into all truth. So we have to trust God. 
it's not something that we do, God did. And that's a hard thing for people because they want to participate in their salvation because it makes them feel like they did something and they have that moment right, of you can't. And you can't. You know, so America, all you can't. I was going to say really quick, in America, that's really hard for us because we're taught from the time we're born that if you want something in this world life, you have to work for it. Exactly. And that's not how salvation works at all, is it? No. No, salvation is entirely grace. And it's grace without merit. There's nothing that we've done that we can say, I earn this. No man can say that God owes him. No man. Because we like to we like to earn our way, and that makes us often question, well, am I really saved? Am I doing what I need to do? You know, but it's faith and it's grace and it's mercy. So it's not about what you do, it's about what you confess. And when you confess it, it's like I said, it's like you signed a contract. You are a new creation, and you have been bought with a price, and it's done. And you have to take your fear and put it out in front of you and confess Jesus is Lord to that fear. You have to say to the fear, okay, I'm afraid I'm not saved, but I've done these things. So, like it says in John, even if your hearts condemn you, God is greater than your hearts. There is no, there's no basis for us to be afraid of not being saved if we're saved. And so do the things that you need to do to ensure that you're saved. Confess. Do it. Even if you've done it before, do it now and write it down. And, and put it in writing and somewhere where you won't lose it. And say, on this day, I confess Jesus Christ is Lord. And then you will know on this day that happened. And then you live your life then from that point. And you just, you've driven a stake right into the heart of that fear. I have a question for you. Uh, Ziggy, Ziggy Menzel, Menzel of the Ziggy Show. I love her show. She is on, uh, if anybody wants to get a hold of her show, uh, listen to it, get a hold of me, I'll give you the address. She has a show every Saturday, and she's just wonderful. She's a German lady, and she's got the greatest voice and personality. I love listening to her show. Straight Talk with Ziggy Menzel, and she's in here, and she has a question. Uh, her question is, uh, she's afraid of being deported. She's also afraid of her son dying. Those are two things that she deals with as far as fear? Those are two serious things. Uh, the fear that I would address probably more seriously would be the one about your son dying. Uh, you have to ask yourself, is, you know, is your son, does he have risky behavior? You know, is there something that he's doing that makes you think, oh, he's going to die? Or is it just a generalized fear? Um, if it's a generalized fear, it's a fear of loss. And as a believer, we have to understand that our own children, uh, our family, the people in our lives are God's property and that we are stewards of that property. This is a hard thing because I've, I've lost my father, I've lost my mother, I've lost all my grandparents. And, you know, you're talking about near and dear here. And... You know, I've lost it in bad ways, too. My mom died from leukemia. My father took his own life seven years after my mom died. And it was one of those oh. things where, you know, you've got to look at that. And I had to let God take that. And I had to understand that it was more important for those people to have a right relationship with God 
than it was for me to continue to get to enjoy their presence. I have to hand that to God and understand that that child is his child and that, yes, I've played my part in the creation of that child and I've invested my life in that child. And it is a very scary thing and it will be a very traumatic thing and a hard thing to deal with. It brings so much grief because death is unnatural. We weren't made for death. And so it's a very strange thing. And when it occurs, it hurts because it's, it's just awful. But we know that, for one thing, we will all be united in heaven. And if your son is not saved, then your mission then is to do everything you can to help your son become a believer. And then at that point, then, it'll make it even that much easier to hand that fear over to God. First, we hand over... Can I ask something really quick? Yes. My mom was a heathen uh, and an atheist until the, until the last few hours that she, of her life, and I was with her. I was the only one that had the guts, really, to hold her hand through most of it. My sister came in, and my, a couple of my nieces came in towards the end, too. They had a lot of guts. It's terrible when somebody's dying the last few hours, but uh, yeah. uh, I, I would like to cite the, par- the parable Jesus uh, talk, uh, teaching the parable of the vineyard. He said that some workers came early in the morning, and they made a deal with the uh, vineyard owners, saying, you know, let's, can we pick grapes all day? And the vineyard owner said, yeah, I'll give you a day's wages. And I'm paraphrasing this. And some people came in <clears throat> right around lunchtime and uh, asked if they could uh, pick some grapes and, you know, work. And, he, and the vineyard owner said, yeah, I'll, I'll give you a day's wages. You know, it's only half day. And then... Near the end of the day, just as the last few grapes were being picked, some workers came in and said, could we work for a few minutes and get a little bit of money? And the vineyard owner said yes. And uh, when it was all done, he paid them all, including the people that had only worked a few minutes, he paid them all a day's wages. And, uh, you know, of course, the, the guys that came in early morning were complaining, and the vineyard owner said, hey, what are you complaining about? I said I was going to pay you a day's wages, and I did. What does it matter? of these guys that worked a few minutes and got paid. You, you're, you were treated fairly. And I'd like to, that was a, Jesus, I really believe that Jesus was telling us that if we can be with our loved ones in those last few hours and get them to accept Jesus, because they're going to see him pretty soon anyway. A lot of people in their last few hours, they see him. And if we can yeah. get them, lead them through a sinner's prayer in those last few hours, which is what I did with my mom, you know, uh, th- that's really important to be there in those last few hours because this is a time when they will accept Christ. Trust me, right. they will. Then right, they. It's, it's one of those things. But the fear of losing a loved one is very, very... I can tell you this because I've gone through uh, so much personal loss myself of loved ones. Uh, I prepare myself ahead of time for the concept I think about it, and I think about what that loss will be like and what my life will be like if that person is gone. And then what I do is is I find out what I'm really appreciating about that person. And then I pour my gratefulness and my life into that person. In other words, I come to be able to value that person greater by stopping being afraid of losing them, understanding that I have a limited amount of time with them. And my fear is keeping me from having a deep relationship with them that I could. So I have to decide, what do I want more, possession or relationship? And that's, that's where it's at, possession or relationship. Do I have to have this person 
you know, I get to have this person and relate to them as long as God is gracious enough to let them be in my life before he takes them into his presence. So it's a, it's a prioritization that we have to go through. You know, I know that someday my wife is going to die. I love my wife. We've been married for over 25 years. I know that there's a very good chance, you know, in the next 50 years she's going to die. I know in the next 50 years probably I'll die and she'll have to deal with it. Well, I don't live in fear of that every day. What I do is I understand that and I make the most of the time that I have because my wife belongs to the Lord. That's the most important thing. So I don't want to hold her. I don't want to possess her. She is not for me to own. She belongs to God, and God allows me to live with her and experience all of the joy that I get from that relationship. And here's the thing is is that if you try to hold it very tightly and, and control it and possess it, you won't get to enjoy the love, the depth of love that you could have if you would release that to God and then live in his, in his mercy and grace in that relationship. Now, let's address the deportation. Uh, if you're here illegally, then your fear of getting deported is very legitimate because of the way the law works. So what you have to do then is sit down and figure out, well, how do I not get deported? And I think that's a technical legal issue at that point. You know, I mean... So many people fly under the radar and manage to stay in the country and they haven't done the paperwork or they haven't followed the process and they've put themselves at risk. And this is kind of a strange analogy or, or, you know, tying it to it, but it was kind of like what I talked about with my brothers earlier. You know, my brothers, uh, my two younger brothers like to smoke marijuana, okay? But they also like to have jobs. So they're going to have to kind of pick how to work this out because one is more important than the other. And if if they want to keep their jobs, if suddenly they have to do drug tests, they have to stop taking drugs. It's a very, it's almost like a math equation. And so with the deportation, your fear is getting deported. Well, then like a math equation, you know, one side cancels out the other. You've got to figure out how to work that out. And that might I've heard people tell stories of having to go back to their country of origin, do the paperwork, do what they need to do, and then they get to come back into the country. I do understand and believe me, I have a lot of sympathy for people who come here with the best of intentions and work their tails off and are fantastic contributors to our society. But I also understand that right now, being here illegal is illegal. So you have to find a way to get legal. That's the only way that you're going to ameliorate that fear. Or you just decide not to be afraid of getting deported. If you get deported, you figure, oh, well. So you can treat it with a kind of indifference to deal with it, or you can take the legal steps that you need to uh, to be here as a naturalized citizen and not worry about getting deported. So there's, uh, there's my answers for that. Fantastic. Well, Councilor Mark, uh, I don't think we really have any other questions for you tonight. We did this at the last minute. We thought it would be a great addition to uh, Iron Show uh, Fear, Part 3, Iron Show 33. And uh, I think you've answered a lot of our questions tonight really well. And I'd like to invite everybody over <clears throat> to uh, Wednesday night, October 26th, at 6 p.m. West Coast, 8 Mountain, or 7 Mountain, 8 Central and 9 on the East Coast, we're going to have another live session 
And so bookmark that and uh, check out ironshow.com. Go to ironshow.com slash download. And you will find out right when that show's going to be. And we hope to see you there. Council Mark, it's been real. Can I ask you a question? Yes. Uh, yeah, I'd like to thank everybody who uh, everybody who uh, brought their questions to the show. It's it's it is all about you and participation from you and, and ministering to you. And I'm just very very grateful and humbled that you would trust me with your issues. And thank you. And I hope to hear from you all again very soon. Feel free to email me. The link is on the Iron Show page. And we can continue our discussion if you need to. I'm here for you. And more importantly, God is here for you. And he is faithful and true. So God bless you all. H-Boy Johnny breaking in here. That was uh, our first uh, shot at uh, the Iron Show Beer Session Live. And uh, that kind of lasted longer than I thought it would. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you about 10 minutes of the original epic uh, three, four-hour fear session that we recorded and uh, let you have about ten minutes more of that. And then we're going to save the rest of the original session for Iron Show 34. So here you go. Here's here's a continuation uh, for a few minutes of the original Iron Show fear session. And so we have to understand who we are. And the disciples are the disciples of Christ. They have already made statements clarifying that they understand who this person is. Right. You know, I believe it was, uh, which one was it? Philip? I'd have to look at the verse where it talks about uh, that one of the guys came to Jesus and said, oh, I got to go get my brother. And his brother comes up and uh and he and he says, you know, could does anything good come out of Nazareth? Yeah. And 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 Jesus says to him, you know, well, here's a Jew without guile. And uh, he says, well, how do you know? And he's like, well, I saw you sitting under the tree before you even came to me. Yeah. And right then, what does he say, my Lord and my God? Yes. Do you understand that at that moment, for him to make that statement, anybody else around him that heard it should have stoned him on the spot? Yes. Oh, that was was blasphemy blasphemy to the Pharisees. Right. So you've got these guys who understand who Jesus is, and they're in the boat with them, and they let their fear, their humanness take over, and they don't understand the purpose of God. And see, this is alignment with God's purposes. It comes back down to that. And we're always going to feel fear. We're going to feel that tweak inside. We're human. We're fallen. That's going to happen. But then we have to come to that moment of decision. Peter saw Jesus and got out of the boat. The fellows in the boat didn't get out of the boat. They were like, oh, it's a ghost. And, and so, so Peter sees him and says, no, it's Jesus, and I'm going. And he's like, Lord, you call me, I'll come. And Jesus said, come on. So Jesus didn't ask him to go into a situation where Jesus couldn't deal with it. Right. Yeah, that's like Peter Goodgame says, God is not going to place you into a situation that he can't handle. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's a, a wise so, statement, you know. And so, and, and you know, and again, this is one of those things that a lot of people use to prove that Scripture is an authentic document because it puts all the good and the bad in there. It didn't just say Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water. 
Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, and looked around and fell in. Yeah. And then Jesus picked him up and put and put him back in the boat. And the, the other story, though. Where he was asleep. Where he's asleep. Now, that speaks volumes to the person that's afraid. Think exactly. about that. I mean, Jesus was asleep. Horrible raging storm. Think exactly. about that. That's a, and, they, just, and they shake him. They have to wake him up yeah. and say, we're going to die. Yeah. <laughs> and, and he's like, how long am I going to have to put up with you people? <laughs> and then he gets up and he says to the storm, peace, be still. Yeah. Boom. I mean, imagine being in the absolute worst storm because the storms on Galilee are horrible. Oh, right? yeah. On, on that on the uh, Sea of Galilee. Yeah, Knesset. And uh, they, they just whip up. It's, it's not very deep, and these, and these storms can really come and just tear it up. And, uh, and so, I mean, all of a sudden, nothing. Yep. I mean, you are being tossed around, and then all of a sudden, nothing because this guy in your boat got up and talked. It's like just how he dealt with creation. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And he oh. got up and he told the world to settle down. And this is another thing that I've taught on is, um, and I don't remember if I discussed this when we talked about anger, but there was something that's really cool about dealing with fear, dealing with your fear before the Lord. It's extremely important why they needed to do it if they had trusted him and, and, and just trusted him. When they did come to him and they said, Lord, we're going to die, and he got up and he spoke to the storm, guess what else happened? Everybody else on that sea got calm. Yes. Everybody else got the benefit of Jesus speaking to their storm. Oh, wow. Oh, that's deep. If Jesus can speak to your storm and you're willing to listen there will be other people benefited by this around exactly. you. Exactly. If I'm willing heal. to deal with, if I'm willing to deal with my fear before the Lord in honesty and humility, recognizing that I have problems trusting Him because I am a human being, but I know that if I will put my trust in Him, He will do what He says. That if I will choose that, that takes fear out of my life, and that allows me to love. And then when I'm able to love, then I can go to my children when they're afraid or I can go to someone when they're feeling fear. When I do counseling and I have someone severely depressed, they're depressed because they fear that they've lost everything, that they have not become what they need to become. They're afraid that it's over and all they're doing is waiting for the box to show up for them to climb in and get the dirt thrown on it. That is what happens with people that are depressed. They're afraid it's over. And so they decide to just live in that. But when I'm free from fear, I can go to that person and show them how to be free from fear. When I'm able to look at my life and go, my life is hidden in Christ. So no matter what anybody thinks about me, as long as I'm being obedient, as long as I am trusting God, as long as I am showing that I have the fear of the Lord, that I have put him in his proper place, and I will not allow anyone else to take his place, when he dictates the, dictates the terms of my life and I accept those things and I walk in that, then I'm fine. And it doesn't matter if I live or if I die. None of it is important. All that is important is that I honor God. And when I honor God, God takes care of me. The Lord is my shepherd. 
I shall not want. I shall not want. Why? Because he, he feeds me. He gets me water. He protects me in the presence of my enemies. He walks with me through the valley of the shadow of death. That means that when I am getting ready to die, he is there to walk with me through that. Take me to that place, walk me through that place, and then be with me on the other side. And if I'm not afraid of death, then I don't need to be afraid of anything else. Hey, it's your boy Johnny breaking in here. Uh, we have a dilemma here. We have a whole lot of the original Iron Show Fear Session left, more than I thought. We have a whole lot of content and not enough room in your ear this week. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and cut it off right here. And uh, I'm going to hit you back with Iron Show 34 as this continues. So uh, come on back and download Iron Show 34. Fear Part 4. Till next time.